Hello and welcome to The Download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson, and it is Jobs, Jobs, Jobs Friday, first Friday of every month for the most part. Uh, And that's when we bring in our expert chief economist at RBC Global Asset Management, the hardest working economist in economics, Eric Lascelles. Eric, welcome back. Thank you very much. I heard there's some really hardworking economists outside of economics, Dave, but they don't count, right? Yeah, that's uh, that is kind of a, a, a poor positioning, but uh, but economics is not, I guess, known that that much for hard work. So, uh, but, but uh, anyways, we, we'll, uh, we'll 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 fix that for next time. Uh, but you have been working hard today because uh, in the U.S. and Canada, both released their jobs reports for October. What's the big news out of that? Okay, well, uh, kind of reversal of last month, if I'm being honest. So Canada generated a whole lot fewer jobs than last month, but the U.S. managed to put on the afterburners and went the other way. And, and, and maybe that, that teaches us a lesson, which is we shouldn't dwell too, too much in any single month. And you look at the trend, maybe those trends aren't all that different between the two countries at the end of the day. But nevertheless, so Canada certainly still generating jobs, still outpacing population growth, st- still recovering, I suppose, is the main takeaway. Uh, but with only 31,000 jobs this month, for context, it was more than five times that last month. It was 157,000 jobs. I think everyone broadly knows this is a volatile series. I don't know if you could quite attribute all of that to volatility, but nevertheless, uh, a recovery, sure. but a, a slower recovery. Uh, when you dug into the details, uh, it, it was all full-time jobs, so that was good. Uh, and you'll let the record show that actually as of last month, Canada had officially recovered all of the jobs it had lost during the pandemic. And so uh, we, we are in, in the black on that front and, and adding net new jobs all the time. And so that, that's certainly a welcome thing. Uh, and the unemployment rate did come down. That was more than enough of a hiring uh, number of jobs created, rather, to pull that unemployment rate down. So it fell from 6.9% to 67 which is looking increasingly normal, if not maybe quite there. Uh, a couple other things are interesting. So one, not, not a change, but nevertheless, you know, it is notable that, for instance, Canadian employment, as I said, above uh, pre-pandemic levels, the U.S. still isn't. Like, it's kind of an interesting compare and contrast there. Um, similarly, and really the opposite of what you'd think based on what I just told you, uh, you know, wage growth in the U.S. is really flying now. And in Canada, still pretty tame, actually. We're still seeing hourly earnings growth of 2.0% year over year, which I don't want to make people too depressed, but that's actually quite a real drop in wages when you compare it to the inflation rate we have right now. And so we're, we're not yeah. seeing that kind of wage pressure, at least this juncture. Uh, and so I suppose that's a, a takeaway as, as well. Uh, and we've said for a while, we think probably the Canadian economy decelerates somewhat into the fall. It had a really good summer. And so may, maybe that's what we're seeing a little bit of. But I, I wouldn't overthink it. I, I'm not too too distressed by it. I, I still think that we're, we're broadly okay. Uh, and then on the U.S. side, Dave, uh, well, you know, 531,000 jobs. That's a yeah. big, that's a big wow. number. Obviously, you need to do the times 10 trick to compare it to Canada. And so it's not that radically different. But still, that was a big number, uh, bigger than the prior month. Prior month was, was a little under 200,000. But actually, no, it wasn't because they revised the prior month and they added uh, more than 100,000 jobs onto that as well. So this is one where there were just new jobs kind of coming out of the corners uh, and, and it did beat consensus and the U.S. unemployment rate just keeps falling. It's gone from 4.8 down to 4.6%. Uh, and, uh, and and so, uh, and I should say with wage growth, uh, that is now running 4.9% year over year, which wow. is the quickest we've seen in quite some time. Equally, though, less than inflation. So everyone's a little bit poorer than they were last year. But nevertheless, uh, nominally, at least the wage growth is, is quite significant. Uh, and you know, maybe the other thought uh, on this front is that in both countries, 
we saw mostly service sector jobs being created yeah. here. And so uh, to an extent, that's logical because, of course, the service sector has been the lagging part of the economy in terms of recovering. So I guess that makes sense. Uh, I, I am kind of intrigued by the good side, though, in the sense that so are we seeing the good side a bit softer because uh, it, it's had its day and people are reallocating spending and things. And that would all be very consequential for unsticking supply chains and other things like that. Um, or is it just happening because those supply chains are so bad that factories can't operate? Yeah. Uh, and so it's a little unclear whether it's like a demand constraint or a supply constraint, if that makes sense. Uh, but in any event, it, it is more on the service sector side right now. And so I guess that's that's the other defining characteristic. And, and certainly this is more than enough to, to keep that U.S. recovery going. And we think the U.S. economy is actually accelerating a little bit, even as the, the Canadian economy decelerates a bit, mostly trading places because they did the opposite things over the summer, uh, oh, to be perfectly summer. clear. Uh, and yeah. maybe the last thought is that the U.S. labor force participation rate is... Is, is pretty sticky. It's, it hasn't fully recovered. And so that was one of the things a lot of people seemingly took early retirement or just aren't all that keen to get back into the labor force. And that, that still stands here. And uh, and so that that's, that's still an issue. It makes it kind of hard to define just how far the labor market is from normal if we don't quite have a clear sense of why all these people are gone. And we, we, we thought we used to have a good set of reasons. And it was you know, there's a lot of risk out there for people going to work. And, you know, there wasn't there weren't schools and daycares for a while and there were generous government support payments and so on. But those things have have broadly gone away. And so, yeah. you know, the debate now is, well, you know, people did accumulate some savings during the pandemic. And so maybe they're they're running through those savings before they're going back in. And a lot of people are maybe revisiting their career choices and things like that. And so looking at going in a new direction, which takes some time and maybe certainly some people did early retire. And so they're probably not coming back, though, of course, they would have retired normally, maybe two years from now anyway. So that'll cease to be a thing uh, over a few years time. But then also people have moved away from from downtown cores and maybe the jobs are coming back in the cities and maybe we just don't have quite as many people in the cities to take them. So a geographic mismatch might be an issue too. So we're trying to sort through all of that. I do think in the end, we will see a pretty familiar looking level of employment. And actually, I, I would even argue we could see a, a higher than usual level of your employment rate or participation rate just because virtual working allows a lot of people a more flexible schedule or, or one that's not tied geographically. And so you could have people, uh, a lot more people working actually over the long run because of the changes created by the pandemic, but we're not quite there yet. Yeah. And, and uh, read a lot of articles this week about what, uh, what some people are calling the great resignation. And, uh, and, and of course, so many areas of the, uh, of the global economy have been dislocated uh, by COVID. And so you had different reactions up, uh, spikes up or spikes down in activity and now we're normalizing and coming back to perhaps different levels on, on a number of different things that new normal that people people talk to and uh and I, we're certainly seeing that uh, reflected in different areas of the job market interesting as well to see as you mentioned service jobs that it's, it's been uh, a, a lot of the, the the service sector in the stock market the markets reacted positively overall to the numbers that were out this morning uh, but the service sector has been the the, the area of strength in, in, in the markets today. Right, right. Yeah, that's right. And of course, keep in mind, at least from an employment perspective, this is a service sector that's scrambling to catch up to a good sector that's already largely restored its its, on, its, its level of employment. But, but nevertheless, yeah, that, that point holds uh, to, to be sure. And, you know, when I, I guess when I think about employment going forward, it is tricky in the sense that, for instance, in Canada, again, we already have more jobs than we had before the pandemic. They're not quite the same jobs. And I should say hours worked aren't completely back. So there, there's plenty of room to recover. We should have seen more hiring over the last two years. So not, not to suggest we are at a 
normal place to the labor market, but we're not that abnormal right now. And one of the questions is, seems like a lot of people got jobs that were different than the jobs they had before. And as some of those lagging industries like entertainment and recreation and leisure and restaurants and, uh, and, and accommodations and things like that come back with a lag, they may struggle. I mean, they are struggling significantly, but they, they may really have a hard time finding those workers. I think people have revisited in their mind those kinds of jobs. And they've said, gee, you know, previously there were various a- attributes of those jobs that I liked and it was a, a good balance versus the compensation I was receiving. People now think these are these are maybe dangerous jobs in a pandemic world. These are things that maybe I, I, I don't want to do and didn't factor in before the pandemic. And I think it's going to be hard. Like some of these sectors uh, are, are really going to struggle to bring things back. And you know, we are seeing the wage growth in the U.S., I think I think we should see that in Canada at some point in time. We've been assuming we're going to get more wage growth with a lag, uh, in part just because there's this mismatch, uh, but in part just because, of course, we're also seeing a lot of inflation right now. People do want to be compensated for that as, as well. So I, I'm assuming that even as maybe inflation becomes a bit less intense over the coming year, that maybe the wage growth actually continues to pick up for a little bit longer. Is the fact that we've seen the, the wage growth continue to, 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 to fall below current levels of inflation? Does that make you more optimistic that 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 it is this this inflation wave is is a little bit more of a of, of a passing fad that we'll we'll work through it in the not too distant future? Yeah, I mean it's not a wage price spiral right now. I think that that's yeah. certainly a, a fair statement. Uh, on the other hand, you can say, well, I mean wages don't adjust as quickly as prices, right? A company can change its prices overnight. Wages, you know, maybe the next person who gets hired gets a different wage, and they wait to the end of the year to adjust other people's wages, or they wait till someone threatens to quit or something. And so it's a it's a, it's a bumpier process and a less sure. quick process. Uh, I can say in general, you'd think maybe wages always follow inflation. It's not always the case, actually. They do they do tend to be contemporaneous, but I just think they're enough funny things going on out there right now that it makes sense to me if, if the wages are responding with a bit of a lag. And, and I think we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, just at least touch on the, the, the Fed's announcement this week in terms of, uh, of tapering uh, their bond purchasing and, and even, you know, perhaps signaling that, that interest rate increases might be a little earlier than, than some people had expected. Do you take anything away from, from what you heard from the, the Federal Reserve this week? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we've talked before about central banks having turned in a more hawkish direction. I don't know if this one was a big, big surprise, but nevertheless, it, it was in a more hawkish direction. So the Fed has essentially said, uh, quite clearly has said later this month, they will start buying fewer bonds. That is the beginning of the taper. It's been pretty well signaled, I think, in recent yeah. months. Uh, they expect to be done buying bonds, at least done doing anything other than reinvesting, maturing bonds uh, by the middle of next year. So the, the taper is done. And I guess you could say QE is done other than some reversal effort over subsequent years by the middle of next year. Uh, and you're still still a bit coy specifically as to when rate hikes happen and so on. But if you look at dot plots and things like that, it does seem like a you know second half of next year is when they're thinking hard about those things. Uh, now, Dave, I can see I actually spoke with Ben Bernanke <laughs> earlier this week, believe it or not. Really? Uh, wow. Me and a few other people, but I, I did get to pepper him with a few questions. Uh, and uh, he seemed to think that that the Fed would want a uh, significant separation, like they'd want it. They've been saying all along that QE and rate hikes are different things. They're probably going to want to finish neat and tidy the quantitative easing, have a nice little pause, then start doing some rate increases. And so he was arguing, and consistent with our view, we've been arguing probably not quite as much rate increasing as the market thinks right now, and maybe closer to the end of the year, or even possibly into early 2023. But nevertheless, I guess that is getting a bit closer. And then the other thing that uh, that the Fed uh, really flagged was that uh, you know they're very data dependent now. So for a long time, we've had this guidance to know we're not going to do anything for a very long time, and so on. And you know, I think they're in a world where they recognize there are a lot of moving parts, and it's hard to predict. Uh, and 
And so there was a high level of data dependency. We've been there many times in the past, but it simply is to say that there could be more volatility in terms of the bond market in the sense that it's just harder to predict exactly what they might do because they do not know yet. They're going to wait and see what the data tells them to do as well. Yeah, I, I'm interested just, just to get your perspective on something. So I, I, I remember back to the, the old days, back in the 1990s with Alan Greenspan, and, and he would come running up the steps of the Federal Reserve. And, and, and depending on which briefcase he had, they would be yeah. forecasting whether he was raising rates or not. And, and Bernanke brought in, I, I, or, or I think intended to bring in, much more transparency and, and, and a, a better communication process with markets to telegraph or signal what's what's going on, and that's been carried through the dot plots. And do, do you think the Fed is doing a better job? And do you think the market reaction yesterday is it is is proof that the Fed's doing a better job of keeping market participants at least you know current with 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 thinking and and not surprised or shocked by what's coming down the pike? Right, I, I think so. It's been incremental. Let's start by saying that. I mean, Bernanke deserves some credit for that, but it has been incremental over time. As you say, in the 90s, there weren't even for, for quite a while fixed announcement dates. They just did something and oh my goodness, it was happening at nine in the morning or whatever the time was. And so you know, they introduced fixed announcement dates. They started publishing statements, uh, whether a change happened or not. They started publishing minutes. And I, in fact, you can even read the full transcript for the lag of five or six years, which is fascinating, by the way, if you ever feel like doing that, but it's always quite, uh, quite dated. The dot plots, as you say, and, and the list goes on. There really have been many incremental changes in general. I think it is welcome. Um, however, you can make a criticism as well, and some people do. And so they, they say that it's essentially it's made the market think a lot less for itself. And so uh -huh. it used to be you had people say, I think they're going to hike next year. Somebody else says, I think they're going to cut next year. They couldn't both be right. But nevertheless, you have like a bit of resiliency in the market in terms of like people thinking about different scenarios. Now sure. everybody just kind of bets on what the Fed says they're going to do when there is truly a surprise. Something happens they didn't expect. Nobody was ready for it. Uh, and so there, there are some costs associated with a lot of transparency. Uh, also, central banks can lose credibility if, if they predict things that they don't actually ultimately get to do. So lots of little nitty gritty thoughts as to why it's not necessarily perfect. But I think in general, it's, it's been for the best. And, you know, as it stands right now, they're essentially transitioning and saying, well, you know, we're into a world that's a bit harder to predict. And, and, and so they are more data dependent. That means we need to think for ourselves a bit more in terms of when, when those moves are going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think if we even go back 12, 18 months, there were people who were quite worried about when this announcement would take place, that tapering mm -hmm. was going to start. Um, and the market just brushed it off and went to a new high yesterday. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, 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 and you know, it's not over yet. They haven't actually raised rates. Sure. They haven't even tapered yet. But in general, we've said we, we don't think there has to be a big taper tantrum. And, you know, we learned lessons from from a decade ago or from 20, what, 2014, I guess. Uh, and, you know, the tantrums that did occur then were unwound quite quickly. Anybody who bet on the tantrum like lost money shortly thereafter. And so uh, I think people are remembering that lesson and central banks are also trying to guide the markets in a, in a clear and, and logical way. And, uh, and, and so in the end, I'm not surprised that the markets are taking it a bit better. I think there is an interesting debate as to like bond yields have moved an awful lot in recent weeks and months and yet the stock market and currency seem largely unperturbed. And you know that, that has caught our attention. I'm not sure it's inappropriate, but nevertheless, it's maybe unusual for several markets to sail so smoothly while others are encountering choppiness. So I, I would say there are some questions around that, but uh, but nevertheless, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, we, we sort of have a veteran status markets here and it takes a lot for them to get panicked uh, after all the adventures of the last, uh, you know, 12 to 13 years. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the reasons we do this podcast is to uh, to make investors smarter and, and help them evolve as markets evolve and 
and uh, central banks evolve in the way that they do things. And, uh, and that's why we bring you on because you always make us smarter, uh, particularly because you're, you're probably the only one between me and everyone listening who's going to go back and read those minutes from five years ago because you are the hardest working economist in economics. Eric LaSalle, thanks for joining us again. My pleasure. Thanks. Bye, everybody. This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management, Inc. for informational purposes only and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.